the reading this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 19. And this is what the, Lord, the word of the Lord says. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You may be seated. Good morning. Uh, my name is Tim, and I also uh, serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, you want this mic? Or you want to preach? You can do that too? All right. <laughs> well, good morning again. Uh, my name is, is Tim, as I said. Uh, we'll be in Jeremiah 1, so if you have a Bible, uh, you, can, you can turn um, there. And uh, something I mentioned last week, you know, the, uh, the, the last sermon series, one of the prime ways we called you to respond was just to text in questions if you had them. Um, and, 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 and kind of the prime way we're calling you to respond um, from this sermon series is, is to be prayed for and to, uh, to, to, to invite you in this space even to be prayed for. So after the sermon, we'll have prayer in the back, and I'll give you more details on that later, but just to give you kind of a heads up. So um, if you have a Bible, Jeremiah 1. If you didn't grab a Kids Connect, feel free to go up and grab one. Um, they're on the back table there if you want to follow along on that level. Um, but I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we'll jump into to this text. Let's pray. Father, God, thinking, thinking on the words that we just sang together, that while, while Christ is in heaven, um, no tongue can bid us depart. There's no accusation that can be, be leveled against us, no word that can be spoken against us if we come to you in, in Christ, in faith in Christ. And so, God, we want to believe that's true, so we, we have to believe your gospel, but God, it's, it's just hard to believe. We, we hear so many other voices so many words of accusation spoken against us or so many discouraging words or discouraging things we encounter. And so for a moment, God, as we open your Bible, we just we want to broaden to this heavenly reality that Christ is for us. And when he speaks for us, no tongue can bid us depart. So would you make that true in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, every human being is involved in a desperate attempt to narrate himself into a safe place. I don't know who Richard Powers is or why he wrote that, but I, I think that really accurately describes my life. That if I'm in charge, if I'm narrating my own story, I'm going to narrate my life away from pain, away from risk, 
away from, sa- from suffering, and towards comfort, towards ease. I'm going to play it safe. That if you'll forgive a, a gambling metaphor, I'm, I'm going to take all my chips off the table and take them home, cash them in. No risk. And this creates a, a significant problem because if you, if you spend about two seconds reading the Bible or about two seconds looking at, at the world around you, it's pretty obvious that if there is a God, he is not investing a lot of time in narrating all of our stories towards safety. That in my own life, it's meant that for the last seven weeks, I've been understanding what it means that my oldest son has a life-threatening illness, that unless Jesus comes back or there is a miraculous healing, he will, he will die a young death. It's Duchenne muscular dystrophy. I didn't even know what that was seven months ago. And I would never have chosen that as a part of my story. But God felt differently. And for Jeremiah, this ancient prophet, he was given a life he didn't want. A message that he had to spend his life preaching to all of the people around him. That Jerusalem, the city everyone loved, was going to be destroyed. And because he spoke those things, because he said that message God had given him, he suffered terribly for it. People hated him. They beat him for it. They mocked him. They tried to kill him, he would never have chosen this for his own story. But God felt differently. And so for you, what is it in, in your story, in your life, that you would never have chosen for yourself? The one in, in your life right now, if you, if you could, you would narrate yourself out of that and back into safety. Or maybe you're in a place of safety and you just need to tuck this away for the day when you want to narrate yourself into safety. I can't speak for you, and, and I, I, but I can, I can speak for myself. And I, I think I can speak for Jeremiah because I, I think I understand what he is experiencing um, in those moments. But when your life enters a place that you, you don't want it to enter, when your life begins to go down a road you would not have chosen for yourself, you really only have two choices. Choice one is to try to grab control of things, to narrate yourself back into the place you want to be, back towards safety, back towards ease and and comfort, to get yourself involved in a desperate plot to attempt to narrate yourself into safety. That's choice one. Or choice two is you you can submit to God's vision for your life, which is not not investing narrating your story into ease or comfort but something else, a different vision for your life. And so what is God's vision for us, for your life, for mine? Because like I said, if you spend two seconds reading the Bible or looking at this world, this is not a safe place. God is not a safe God. So what is his vision for us if it's not safety? But before we can get to what the vision is, I think we have to to see what the vision is not. And that's what God is doing with Jeremiah here. He's sort of walking Jeremiah through what his life is not going to be before he can get him to what his life is going to be. And first, Jeremiah's life is not going to be a life free of waiting. That God's vision for your life, for my life, for Jeremiah's life, it's not a life free of waiting. But if I was in charge of my life, I would never wait for anything. 
And when I was a kid, and my, we'd go out to eat. I've, I've said this before. And if the wait was like longer than 10 minutes at the restaurant, I'd just lose my mind. Like, why would we wait for food? Like McDonald's, man, it's quick. Let's just go there. Like, I never would wait for anything. I wouldn't have waited until I was 33 for the Cubs to win the World Series, right? It would have happened when I was 10 years old and 11 and 12 and thir- like every year. Like, I would never have to wait for anything if I was narrating my life. And yet that is where God starts with Jeremiah in verse 11 is waiting, now, we aren't sure exactly how much time has passed from verse 10, which is where Niah was last week, in verse 11, where we are this week. However, I, I do think it's fair to say probably a good amount of time has passed between verse 10 and 11. Verse uh, Jeremiah 1, 1 through 10 is kind of his call into ministry, into prophecy. Verses 11 through 19 is kind of his guiding vision for what it meant for him to be a prophet. So I think there's some gap between verse 10 and verse 11. But verse 11 is is a vision that, that Jeremiah has for what his life is going to be. And it's, it's God coming to Jeremiah and asking, Jeremiah, what do, you, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, I see an almond branch. And maybe you're like me, and this is, this is confusing. Why would, why would an almond branch do anything for anyone? I mean, like almonds, I could see maybe like a little snack or something. Like I could see that being something. But an almond branch, what does this, what does this mean? And to understand what this means, you first have to understand Jeremiah's hometown, Anatote, was, was filled with almond trees. He saw almond trees all of the time. And, and so every day of Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's life, it was filled with, with almond branches, with almond trees. And if you know anything about almond trees, they are the first tree to blossom in the spring. But long before any other plant starts to bloom, all of, of these almond trees in Jeremiah's hometown in Anatote would put out these beautiful, bright, white blossoms. So while it was still cold in Anatole, while the last remnants of winter were still hanging on for dear life, Jeremiah would look around him in the midst of winter and see these white blossoms coming up all around him as a reminder, spring is near. And so this, I think we have a picture of This is what he would see. It was a sign of what was imminent. Spring will come soon. Warmth is right around the corner. Now, I have to confess, this would have been a better sermon like in late February or early March. Um, so just imagine with me, we're, we're, in, we're in Kansas City in late February. We've had like six straight overcast days in the upper 20s. The wind's been blowing. It's been cold. Uh, we're, we're deeply sad. Um, maybe we, we sit under a, a lamp that's to, to try to get something like sunlight. We're angry at the cold. We're thinking to ourselves, I don't care if I'm homeless. I'm moving to L.A. Like this, this, is, what we're, this is where we're at spiritually. So imagine that's where you're at, and, and winter has taken hold, and you're waiting for warmth, you're waiting for spring, and then you see, you see this. And you know, winter does end. It's ended every year. It will come to an end. Just wait a little longer. And so God, he's using this image of the almond blossom to say something to Jeremiah. So what is he, what is he trying to show him? What is he trying to say? Well, look at, look at verse 12. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. This Hebrew word that God speaks to Jeremiah, I am watching, sounds just like the Hebrew word for almond tree. So the the Hebrew word for I am watching is shokade, and the Hebrew word for almond tree is shokade. So what God says to Jeremiah is essentially, uh, when you see a shokade, remember shokade. When you see an almond branch, remember, I am watching over my word. And so what is God saying? What's the vision he's giving to Jeremiah? This is just about an almond branch. We have to understand that Jeremiah 
had to do a lot of waiting in his life. And for, for 40 years, he, he told all of his people, God is going to destroy Jerusalem. You are sinning. You have to repent. You have to turn around. You have to head in a different direction. And for 40 years, nothing happened. For 40 years, people looked at Jeremiah and said, you're, you're wrong. God is not going to judge us. He's on our side. And so they called Jeremiah a false prophet. They imprisoned him. They beat him. They tried to kill him. In one moment, they threw him in a deep pit. He got stuck in the mud. They left him for dead. All because God had told Jeremiah something was going to happen, something that for 40 years did not happen. So surely Jeremiah began to think to himself, is God going to show up? Is he going to do what he said he's going to do? Will all this waiting be for nothing? Will all this faith and this trust in God be for nothing? Jeremiah had to wait. He wasn't in charge. He didn't know where things were were going. He He didn't narrate his own story. And it's worth for us, as we think about this vision of an almond branch, asking our, our own selves the question, what, what are you waiting on God for? What does it feel like for you God is not going to do? Or maybe more realistically, have, have you stopped waiting on God? Have you turned your attention to other things, things you hope will save you? Because if the, the Bible is to be our guide, and especially if you go to the, the prayer guide of the Bible, the Psalms, prayers of waiting are all over the place. Three quick ones. Psalm 38. It, it is for you, Lord, I wait. It is you, Lord my God, who will answer. Psalm 39. And now, Lord, why am I waiting? Because you are my hope. Or Psalm 40. I waited and waited and waited for God. At last he looked. Finally he listened. That if you think you're never going to have to wait on God, if you think you're never going to be in a place of God or a place of life where things do not make sense and where God seems silent, if you think you're never going to have to wait for God to get you out of something, you have a different vision of your life than God has of your life. Because God's vision for your life includes waiting. What do you see, God asked Jeremiah? An almond branch. They're all around me. Yes, you've seen well, God says. Spring is coming. I will do what I say. Jeremiah, it's close. It's not yet, but it's close. And just like when the almond tree blossoms with white and spring, you know is imminent, so is my word close to fulfillment. Keep waiting. So may we hear the same encouragement. Keep waiting. God runs a different timetable than you and I. And if you need some help remembering that this week, get some almonds, put them on your desk, right? A little snack when you need it. Maybe make a, a picture of an almond tree, your desk top, to, to remind you. God works, he just works in a different timetable, but he's never late. And the almond tree is a reminder of that. Winter is ending, Jeremiah. Spring is coming. Just keep waiting. I, I'm watching over my word. It will happen in my time. So God's vision of your life. It's not, listen, it's not a life free of waiting. And if you've ever gotten to a place where you're waiting on God and you think that's, that's somehow contradictory to the purposes of his vision for your life, you're wrong. Waiting is central to a life of faith, a life of God's vision for you. So that, that's, that's point one. God's vision for your life, it, it includes waiting. But secondly, God's vision for your life is not a life free of evil. 
the second vision Jeremiah gets, it's in some ways more confusing than the first, because what we get is this, this boiling pot that's facing away from the north towards the south, and it's just about to tip over. And to understand what's going on here, at this moment in Jeremiah's life, the world power of the day, the most powerful country in the world, Assyria, um, was to the north of Jeremiah. And Assyria was in turmoil. In fact, the year that Jeremiah was called into ministry, 627 B.C., our best guess of when he was called into ministry, that very year the leader of Assyria died. And everyone knew this was going to lead to war and a power vacuum and, and, and fighting. And so Assyria, Assyria was fighting a civil war within its own self. They were fighting against Egypt, which was to the south. They were fighting another uh, uprising nation called Babylon, which was also to the north of where Jeremiah was. And, and all, of these, all of this war, all of this unrest is going on. And so God gives Jeremiah a vision that, that all of this, this unrest and this war, this violence, this evil... To the north, it's going to, it's going to tip to the south, and it's going to come to Jerusalem, and God's going to use that evil to judge his people for their sin. Jerusalem is going to fall. And we hear that, and we're instantly troubled. Why would God let that happen? Why, why such evil? And in one sense, that Jeremiah answers this question, or God answers this question directly in Jeremiah. One, that God's people had abandoned worshiping God, and the result, as we read through the pages of Jeremiah, was they were oppressing the poor, they were living terribly immoral lives, they were worshiping false gods, their, their land was in turmoil. And so God says, listen, we're starting over, I'm going to judge you. We're, we, we have to, you, there has to be a, a war before there's going to be salvation. And, and that's all that's really troubling, but that's next week's sermon, so I'm just going to put all that there and say that's why you got to come back next week. And we're going to go, we're not going to lose the main point of what's happening here, which is that that God is showing Jeremiah a vision of the vast amount of evil in this world, and that this evil is going to come and, 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 and get near Jeremiah. And so what do we do with this? As human beings, this is a problem. Um, whether you believe in God or, 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 or you don't, that, that as we look at the vast amount of evil in this world, what, how do we respond? And I basically think you have two, you have two choices. I mean, there's lots of different ways to, to have those two choices, but there's really just two choices. Choice one is, is you give up on God. And a lot of people, when they encounter suffering, when they encounter death, war, or evil, they stop believing in God. Or they, they say, see, this is evidence. There cannot be a God. They see the boiling pot. The same thing Jeremiah sees in Jeremiah 1, and they become convinced that if there was a God, there would be no boiling pot of evil about to spill over and harm people. And just to sort of lean into that for a moment, Jeremiah is going to see some incredibly awful things in his life. He's going to watch people starve to death. He's going to watch women and children die. He's going to see war and violence. He's going to see the city that he loves destroyed to the ground. And when you see these things, it's easy to, to despair. In my own life, it's, the more evil you encounter, the, the, the more depth of despair you can feel. Hopelessness that makes you want to give up and quit. To wonder why, if there is a God, why is this boiling pot of evil spilling over into my life? But Jeremiah does not give up on God. But he's not naive either. He doesn't just shut his eyes and say, it's not really that bad. No, he, he, he will be called the weeping prophet. He will write some of the most moving prayers of anguish and turmoil in all of the scriptures, as he watches his life, which is just waiting for this boiling pot for 40 years, to spill over and wreak destruction in his friends and his families and his city's life. 
And yet he doesn't give up on God. Why not? When the face of evil, you can either give up on God or two, you can see God as most important. At the vision of the boiling pot Jeremiah sees, it has an assumption to it, right? It's, it's, a, it's a pot, which means evil is contained, it's hemmed in. And yes, it exists, and some of it will spill out into Jerusalem. But evil is not out of control. In fact, there's far, there's far more evil that's, that's capable in this world than God actually lets us experience. It's a part of what Jeremiah 1 is saying. God hems it in. He keeps it contained. Evil is not out of control. And that's why I think when God comes to Jeremiah in both of his visions, he asks him a question. And what he asks him is, what do you see? Jeremiah, what's your vision? What are you looking at? And I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves is, what do you see? As you, look at, as you navigate your life, as you look around your life, what do you see? When you look at your life, the challenges that you're facing, what do you see? When you look at our, our world, our culture, our country, what do you see? What defines your reality? What's the most important thing about you? What sets your vision, gives you your eyes? Well, Eugene Peterson, reflecting on this text, points out that often we, we just have the wrong vision. We're looking at the wrong thing. We're seeing the wrong, we're, we're focused on the boiling pot, and, and that is not what Jeremiah, is the only thing Jeremiah sees. He sees something else. And so Peterson, reflecting on this text, he writes, writes this. He says, if we forget that the newspapers are footnotes to the scriptures and not the other way around, we will finally be afraid to get out of bed in the morning. Too many of us spend far too much time with the editorial page and not nearly enough time with the prophetic vision. We get our interpretation of politics and economics and morals from journalists when we should be getting only information. The meaning of the world is most accurately given to us by God's word. Let me translate that in a potentially controversial way. Turn off the news and read the Bible. So if you're on the right, don't watch Fox News, read the Bible. If you're on the left, turn off MSNBC, read the scriptures. Those should only be information. Your, your vision for life comes from the scriptures where God is most important. Yet the reality is evil is intimidating. It's heart-wrenching. Right? We are not naive about evil as Christians. We shouldn't be. This is a boiling pot. This is going to do terrible things. But the vision of our life, what we see, it is not evil first. Evil is hemmed in. There is a bigger God who makes clear that despite the presence of this boiling pot, salvation is coming, redemption is coming, healing is coming. And yet, to talk out of both sides of my mouth, I don't want to sugarcoat this. Jeremiah will pray some anguish-filled prayers. And just two chapters after this, well, three, in, in Jeremiah 4, as Jeremiah is reflecting on this coming invasion and, and, and the destruction of Jerusalem and the suffering to come, he prays these words. He says, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart, my heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent. No wonder we try to navigate our, our stories away into safe places. And yet the irony is God does want you to experience safety and security and strength. That's actually the entire trajectory of this passage of Jeremiah in verses 11 through 19. The language of salvation Jeremiah is given, what God says he's going to do for Jeremiah is, is all about safety and security and strength. But to get there, 
to find that strength and that security and that salvation will mean Jeremiah will have to deal with the boiling pot of evil. He will have to wait. So friends, God's vision for your life, it is not to keep you from waiting. It is not to protect you and sanitize you from evil. God's vision for our life is an enlarged life that can wait for God in all things and endure evil and overcome evil in all things in the midst of life's troubles. But to, to shorten that down to a metaphor, God's vision for your life is a life of running with horses. And I know Niall went there last week, but I'm going there this week because it's too good. Um, the reality is Jeremiah is going to want to quit the vision of life God has given him many times through the book. He's going to complain. He's going to try to opt out. And one of those moments when Jeremiah is saying, you know what, this is too hard. I don't want to do this, God. I want something easier. I want to narrate my life towards easy. I'm I'm done. God poses a question to Jeremiah. A question that unveils a vision for Jeremiah's life that's far bigger than what Jeremiah has. And it's a vision for your life and for mine. Jeremiah says, I'm done. I quit. So God asks him this. So Jeremiah, if you're worn out in this foot race with men, What makes you think you can race against horses? It's such a God question. Jeremiah is just trying to keep it together. His life is hard. People want to kill him. The people he lives with hates him. His hometown is embarrassed by him. And on top of this, he knows the city that he loves, that he's trying to call back into repentance, is going to be destroyed one day. War and violence are coming. The people that hate him are going to be judged by God. And Jeremiah has been given an incredibly difficult life. And he's limping along. He's struggling to walk, to stay on his feet. And so God asked Jeremiah a simple question, a question we rarely ask ourselves. Jeremiah, what do you want? Do you want an easy life? Do you, want to, do you just want to play it safe? Do you want to limp along life like everybody else? Do you want to embrace mediocrity? Do you just want to live like everyone else lives? Or do you want salvation? Do you want to run with horses? Every human being is involved in a desperate attempt to narrate himself into a safe place. And that's our problem. It's because salvation in the Christian sense is not about becoming a moderately improved human being that has a nice, safe, and quiet life. It's not, it's not about sinning slightly less than you sin right now. It's about doing something impossible. It's not about struggling or limping along in life. It's about a life that runs with horses. And most days, I don't want that. And when I think about the life that's ahead of me, a life I I never would have asked for and was given seven months ago, a life I know that I'm inadequate for. I want to quit. I feel the weight of the question that, that God asked Jeremiah. I hear God asking me that question. I hope you hear God asking you that question. That if you're, if, if you're so ready to quit at this foot race with men, how are you going to ever live the life that I have for you? How are we going to become the people that God wants us to become? A, a person, a people who will run with horses if we're so ready to quit at the first sign of trouble. 
that I really hope your life's ambition is not to be like everybody else, not to have a safe and quiet and easy life, take all of the risk off the table. I hope you want to grow and become the sort of person that only God could make you. But don't you want to be someone who runs with horses? And it raises the question, how, how do we become that? How will we become that? How do we enter into a life of faith? How do we run with horses? And to build on what Naya did last week, three thoughts of application this morning. First, you have to embrace your inadequacy. Now, don't miss the progression of all of chapter 1, from verse 1 to verse 19, that when God called Jeremiah to be a prophet, his answer is, is no, I can't. I'm only a boy. And God says, yes, that's, I know that. That's, that's not a surprise to me. And, and so then Jeremiah starts with the no, his inadequacy, right? I can't, I'm only a boy. He embraced his inadequacy. And, and then did you hear what God promised to do for Jeremiah by the end of his life? After all his waiting, after all his enduring of evil, God says Jeremiah is going to become, in verses 16 through 19, he's going to become a fortified city, an iron pillar, a city with bronze walls, a, pe- a person whom many people will fight against, but none of whom will prevail. And listen, that same progression of, of people going from, from struggling and limping along and, and weak and only a youth and not equipped and inadequate and becoming a fortified city, a bronze wall, someone against whom many people fight against but none whom prevail. That story is all over the Bible. And my favorite example may be the, uh, the Apostle Paul, who in 2 Corinthians, he's, he's talking to a church about his own inadequacies, about how he's ready to give up because he's got, he's got incredible burdens against him. He's not sleeping. He's not eating. He has people who hate him and who are working against him. And he even has a, a thorn in his side, something God sent to him to actually make things worse. And three times, Paul says, I said, God, take this away from me. This is really annoying. Stop this. And Jesus' response to Paul are these words. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And we don't like that story. We, we want to hear, for my power is made perfect in your power. Right? For, for I, God, I can really work when you are gifted and, and on it and doing your thing. Like when, when, you're, when you got it together, I, God, have it together. That, that's, not what, that's not what God says. No, Paul, in your inadequacies, in your weakness, that's where my power can work. And so in your life, are you ready to give up? Do you see how inadequate you are? Good. Because your inadequacies are the place for the supernatural power of God to be at work in you, to be making you what you could not be on your own. Embrace your inadequacies. Second, um, allow, allow waiting and evil to refine you. Listen, none of us, if we got to narrate our own stories, would choose waiting or an encounter with evil as a part of our Story And yet, they're central to Jeremiah's life. And I would say, you look at any person's life who, who has lived an outsized life, who has become greater than what they could be on their own. They had to wait or they had to endure significant evil. And so just to speak to us for a minute, for those of us who are younger, whether you're, you're in high school, you're thinking about a long-term career, or you're a younger family, I hope you don't, you don't try to narrate your story into ease and comfort, to live like everybody else. That I hope the generosity with which you live with stretches you to a place to where you have to wait on the Lord to provide for you. I hope when you think about your calendar and your commitments, it's not just about what everybody else is doing to get ahead in life or to accomplish in life, but it's to enter into hard places, evil places, and to do good. And if you have kids, I hope, I hope the aim of your life is not to keep them safe and sanitized from the world, but I hope you take them into places where the kingdom of God is overcoming the gates of hell. I hope 
Don't live like everybody else. Embrace waiting and embrace the overcoming of evil. And to those of you who are, who are older, maybe closer to the empty nest or retired phase, I have to say, one, I'm grateful to have so many of you as a part of our congregation that when I, when I church planted, a lot of people just said, listen, you just got to focus on young families. That's, those are the only people who would be even interested. Those who are older aren't going to give you the time of day. And, and, but, and young families, that's, that's where you got to go. But we have so many um, empty nesters. But as referenced by the there's going to be a 50s plus lunch earlier, you should go. Um, and I just, to say to those of you who are in that age, as you grow older, and move towards retirement age, or if you're in that age, don't use that as a time to take all your chips off the table and to stop risking and to stop entering in. No, stay in the fight. Because I believe the older you get, the more should be at stake. The older you get, the more should be put on the line in your service to the church, in your vocational skills, in your families, in your your neighborhoods, that just the moment when you have all of the wisdom and the giftedness and the resources to provide for those who are younger, don't step away. Step in. The life isn't supposed to get easier as we get older. There's a moment when God lets you opt out of all the problems. That's death. If you're still alive, you you don't get to opt out of what he's doing in a life of running with horses. Because what God is trying to do for us is not make things easier, is not bring us into a place of comfort or ease. What he's trying to do is bring salvation into us. And I think the best Metaphor or image that I've ever read of of what salvation is for the Christian is what C.S. Lewis says about Christianity. It's it's not about turning nice people into or new uh, people into nice people, but but people into new kinds of people. Here's what he wrote: "Says for mere improvement is not redemption. The redemption always improves people here and now, and will in the end improve them to a degree we cannot yet imagine." God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better kind or better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. God's salvation for you is not like teaching a horse how to jump, but giving a horse wings so that it can fly. And let me, just to be real, the only way that's going to happen in any of us is if we encounter evil and we have to wait on God. And if you try to narrate your your life into a place of ease, you will never fly. You'll never run with horses. And so may we embrace that life. May we allow evil and and waiting to refine us. And listen, I get this is hard medicine. I'm taking this medicine. I'm living this medicine right now. I if I could and I could narrate my story, I'd take it all away. I'd make it easy on myself. And yet God has a bigger vision for life than than you and I have for ourselves. Will you step into it? And yeah, let me, the the tension is, how do do you keep going in a life like this? A life that wears you down. When you're ready to fall, when you're barely staggering on, when you're limping, you're ready to fall to the ground. How do we not let the pain and the burdens of this world, the brutality of evil that we encounter, not overwhelm us? Third, never forget the Lord is with you. That is God's central promise to Jeremiah in verse 19. Jeremiah, you can't live this life. That's not the point. I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. And when I hear those words of God to Jeremiah, I am with you, to deliver you. Those words mean something slightly different to me than they would have meant to Jeremiah. But the God who speaks those words to me and to you, to us, he knows of what he speaks. 
that I'm not facing anything in my life and you will never face anything in your life that Jesus himself did not face. He suffered. People he loved got sick and died. He knew trauma, he knew pain, he knew trouble, and he knew death. And he overcame all that trouble. He climbed up onto a hill, onto a tree, and down into a tomb. He died, and he overcame death. And the most important thing about my life, the, the central vision for my life, is not narrating my story towards ease. It's not about what I can accomplish in my own strength. The central vision of my life is Christ crucified. Overcoming the grave, resurrection, life. And I can wait because he waited. I can go and fight against and endure evil because he overcame evil. And when Christ says to me, when Christ says to you, I am with you to deliver you, those are not empty words. Those words come with blood, blood he shed for you and for me to save us. And those words mean that you and I can step into impossible life and run with horses. Let's pray. God, as I think about the words, I'm with you to deliver you, I know ultimately that means Jesus was, was with me on a cross, taking the place that, that I deserved. He was with me in the tomb, overcoming death. And he promises to be with me in the power of the resurrection, united to him. And so God, for those of us who are Christians and believe that, make that true in our hearts now. God, move us. And for those of us who don't yet believe that story, God, would you, would you unveil the beauty of the resurrection and the death of Christ? The, hope, the hopefulness that is in the midst of evil and in the midst of an impossible life, God, the change that's going to bring in us. God, would you, would you make this real to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, one of the primary ways that we, we hear Christ speak to us, I'm with you to deliver you, is when we come to the communion table each week. Right? So you're reminded those are not empty words. Those are words he is, he is backed with his body broken and his blood shed um, for us. And so we'd like to just invite you to come, if you're a Christian, and receive, receive his invitation to be delivered um, by him. That we practice open communion, which means you don't need to be a member of our church to, uh, to receive this meal. But if you're a Christian, you have faith in Christ. Come in groups of four to six. Uh, take the bread, dip it in the juice, um, and eat it together in the instructions of those who are serving you. If you need a gluten-free option, it's available on, on this side um, of the room. Um, and as a reminder, one of the primary responses uh, we're calling you uh, that a life of inadequacy, that a life of Jeremiah calls us to, is a life of prayer. And even though I know... Probably in this cultural context, you love the, like, impossible life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run with horses. But you're all thinking about how you can do it on your own, um, how you do it in your own strength. And what prayer does, prayer is the place where we just say, God, I can't. Um, and even though I know none of you want to be prayed for, because that's our cultural context, um, we're going to provide it, and we're going to pray for you whether you want it or not. And if you want it, we'll be in the back, a few of us. Um, we'd love to lay hands on you and pray for you. Whatever you need, um, come receive that. Me and I, I think Greg will be back there as well. Um, but in case you don't really believe Jesus wants you at his table, um, I'm going to read his invitation to you. And whether you're a Christian, you've been coming for years, you need to hear this again. Or whether you're not a Christian, you want to become one and go and take this meal. Jesus invites you. Here's what he says. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. And said, take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given it to them, he, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again 
of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. As you're ready, we invite you. Come.
Amen. Well, it's good to be uh, together this morning. Um, and as we leave, I want to leave with uh, one of my favorite psalms of, of waiting. That may you go out into a posture of waiting on the Lord who will come as surely as, as spring is coming when, uh, when the almond tree uh, turns. And uh, snack on some almonds. It's a good sermon application this morning. If anything, go have some almonds. Um, but uh, Psalm 40, uh, adjusting it slightly for, for congregation. But if you're comfortable, raise your hand. Uh, receive this benediction. May all who seek the Lord rejoice and be glad in him. May those who love his salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for us, we are poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for us. He is our help and our deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Go in the hope of our Savior.